verses 13 to 21. It's called the parable of the rich fool. And um, the joy of this passage is, and I think it was probably intentional, I can just like imagine that um, our, our pastoral staff was sitting around in one of their meetings and Joel and John, um, Jamara, Elaine, Devonte, you're off the hook because it was probably before you were on staff. But they're like, let's give Michael this one because it's a really straightforward parable. You know how some of these parables you have to mine out the truth that's, that's in it? You know, it's a story that's about something deeper. This is one of those parables that's like, I'm pretty sure I know what Jesus is saying here. Um, you know, there are like these two um, really simple things that Jesus says. Don't be greedy, and your life is about more than your possessions. So if you leave here this morning and you don't remember anything that I said, Go home knowing that Jesus doesn't want you to be greedy, and he doesn't want your identity to, identity to come from what you have, all right? So if I stumble through this, if I make a horrible mess of this passage, just know that I already warned you. Jesus has a really simple message for us this morning. In thinking about money, um, I can stand here and say that, just to tell you a little bit about myself, it's not a topic that I'm all at all uncomfortable with. Um, I feel okay in talking about money, and I know sometimes we think money is one of those conversations that you shouldn't have with people. Um, it's probably a conversation that you shouldn't have in church, and I would beg to differ with that and say that Jesus made it really clear that money is an, an important topic for us to discuss as a church. Um, like a third of Jesus' parables, a little less than a third of Jesus' parables, dealt with the subject of money. And when you read the Bible, you'll find that the theme of money is woven throughout it. If you caught those um, passages that the ladies led us through this morning in the responsive reading, those were all Proverbs that dealt with something related to money and our relationship to it. And so the Bible's full of um, teachings on the subject of money. And so I think it's probably true that we don't talk about money enough as a church. Is it fair to say that? If Jesus spent as much time as he did talking about it, if he spent about a third of his parables t teaching on money, we probably don't come anywhere close to that here at Crestmont. So I think it's safe to say maybe we should talk about it a little bit more, and maybe it's okay to talk about it and just to be honest about who we are as individuals and who we are as a church. And so that's what I'm going to hope to do this morning. I'm going to be really honest with you about who I am as I wrestle through some of this. And I would hope that we can be honest enough as a church to say, wow, there probably is something that the Lord's trying to say to us right now. And we want to hear it. And we want to hear what Jesus is saying so that we can respond to it. And we want to respond to it so that we can move further along in the mission that Jesus has called us to. So that's what I'm hoping for this morning. Sound good? All right, let's do it. Several years ago, um, I had a career in real estate up until about February. And uh, Brooke and I have done that together for a long time. I still dabble in it. Um, but I got invited to um, an older man's home so that we could talk about him listing some investment properties for sale. They were properties that he'd hung on to for a long time. And I'm going to say that he was probably in his 70s at this point, and he wanted to cut some of this stuff loose. I didn't know him prior to the conversation. A friend had connected me. And so I met him at his house, and like any good Western Pennsylvania man, uh, we found room in his basement um, to have this conversation about uh, these properties he wanted to sell. He kind of gave me the tour of the house, and like the basement was like his man cave. It was his space. And uh, so we sat downstairs, and we had a man-to-man -man conversation um, about some of these things. 
And as he was talking to me a little bit about these properties that he wanted to sell, he began to paint for me a picture of his career. And on a you know very um, basic level, I would say that we would have described him as successful. Um, successful in the way that we define success as a culture to say that he had achieved some level of financial prosperity and that he was recognized within the community and he had businesses that attracted people's attention and they saw them as good businesses and he was successful. And so um, in the course of our conversation, unsolicited, he began to share with me his story of how when he was a young guy, his first job was uh, pumping gas. For those of you that don't know, there was a time when you went to gas stations and somebody else pumped your gas for you. You have to go to Beaver for that to happen now. I'd recommend it. Uh, it's the quick fill. And, uh, but yeah, there was a time where they actually pumped your gas for you. And um, so this was his first job. And he caught a vision for, hmm, this guy pays me to pump gas for him. I want a piece of that action. And so he was industrious, and he worked hard, and he saved, and eventually he bought enough money to buy a part of a gas station, and he had a partner, and he began to form relationships, and he began to acquire things, businesses. And you know those businesses began to multiply, and it grew from one thing to another to another. And uh, eventually he had like, created um, you know, this little, you know, you know, really nice you know, business um, for himself. And that business went on to bless his family. Um, he went on to tell me that he was grateful that he had been blessed with financial prosperity because it allowed him to give his kids um, financial things. And he was able to buy each of his four children their first homes so that they didn't have to start out um, in debt. And he went on. He told me that, like, I mean, he just went on and on and on telling me this story. And um, at the very end, he paused. It was kind of like the end of his explanation of his life. And uh, there was that quietness. And he said something very close to this. He said, and that's how I built my chicken crap empire. I remember sitting there thinking, wow, the sum of all of this for this man is pretty much hopeless. It was like I spent my entire life building this up and he qualified it as a chicken crap empire. And I thought to myself, isn't it interesting that on the outside, the way that the world views this man who since passed is that he was entirely successful, right? He was a success because of everything that he'd accomplished. But there he was at the end of his days, um, having achieved great financial wealth, and he described himself as a chicken crap empire. And that story is very similar to the one that we're going to read this morning. Um, if we have it on the screen, we'll read it together. We're actually going to read it in a couple of different uh, translations. I hope that we have it. We don't have it. In that case, let me read it to you. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. This is from the NIV. It's the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Remember, that's what I told you. Those are our two like, big points. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. 
Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. When I prepare um, to, to teach on something, I like to read in several different translations because I like to get a handle on the language. Words are important to me. So I'm going to read it again. And if you want to just listen along, this is a more contemporary uh, paraphrase of the Bible. It's called The Message. And in The Message, it's titled The Story of the Greedy Farmer. Someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brother to give me a fair share of the family inheritance. He replied, Mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to be a judge or mediator for you? Speaking to the people, he went on, Take care. Protect yourself against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He said to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. I always picture like something from the, um, the bulldog on, is it like the, like the Sylvester and Tweety, like, you know what I'm talking about, the bulldog that, or maybe it's Tom and Jerry, Tom and Jerry, that's always like grabbing like Tom by like the throat, you know, he always bumps into him, and he's like, self, you've done really well. That's what I picture. Now you do too, maybe. Hopefully not. You've got it made and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die, and your barn full of goods? Who gets it? That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. Um, I like to look at things in the, in the context. Um, and as I read this passage, the first thing I want to ask you to do is imagine for yourself that you have an audience of your peers and Jesus. And you finally get to the place where you can ask Jesus the question that you've been dying to ask him. You finally have the chance to say to Jesus whatever it is that you want to say. And you say, Jesus, tell my big brother to give me what's actually his that should be mine. Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't name this guy? Who would want to go down through history as the guy that like had that chance? And it was like, that's what I came up with. That was like my golden opportunity. It was like my audience with Jesus left me with asking for my brother to cut me a half of the inheritance. And it's odd to me because, you know, culturally, the inheritance was given to the firstborn child, right, the firstborn male. And I can stand here as a middle child to say that that doesn't make any sense to me either. I don't entirely agree with that. So I get a little bit of where this guy was coming from, but it was still a really bad move on his part, right? He had a chance to get in front of Jesus, and that's, that's what he came up with. And I felt like, 
you know, at least from, from my perspective, that was a, a really, really bad move. Um, but while we find that funny, or at least I do, um, I'm probably laughing at myself. Um, I'm often like that nameless guy in the crowd. I daily have the opportunity to ask Jesus anything that I want. And I end up giving him my list of preferences, things that I'd like to see happen, blessings that I'd like to have for my life, um, provision for myself, for my kids, uh, for my family. You know, my, my prayer or my, my audience with Jesus oftentimes looks a bit like that nameless guy, right? I'm the guy that's like calling out all of the things that I want. I'll just stand before you this morning and tell you that I've actually stood on top of a golf ball with a club in my hand and asked God to help me to hit it. Well, <laughs> I've done it. And I've been retired from golf for a long time because I kept having to ask that prayer all the time. Um, but I can remember being with friends and feeling that pressure of like, man, I'm totally stinking this up and I'm not helping like, anybody to enjoy this. So God, just help me to hit a good one. Help me to get it over that water because I don't have very many balls left in my bag. Um, I've been that guy. Um, and, you know, I have that audience with Jesus just like that guy did. And too often, that's what I end up with. I end up with this list of like things that would probably just be beneficial for me. Things that I haven't earned and things that I certainly don't deserve. But then Jesus goes on to tell this story about a rich fool. Um, and there are some, some mistakes that I think that the, the rich fool makes that I, I think are worth looking at this morning. Um, the first of which is the rich fool makes the mistake of thinking that he deserves credit for his success. Let me ask you this morning, and you can feel free to respond to this, where does the rich fool's wealth come from? It comes from God. That was an amazing church answer. But more practically... More practically, less spiritually, what is his wealth tied to? The land, right? The, the crops, the produce, the harvest. And how much control do you think he actually has over the conditions of the ground or the rain that falls or the weather that may come in or go? Yeah, I mean, if like farming teaches you one thing, if any of you garden, it teaches you that you don't have much control over the, the product, right? It's hard to be a control freak and be a farmer because there's so much that's outside of your control. I mean, if you've got like a, you know, like a six by six like backyard garden, I guess you can control conditions to a certain degree. You know that there's a heavy frost coming. You can go you know, steal the comforter off of your bed and cover it. Um, you can water it with your garden hose. But in this case, this guy had amassed incredible wealth and that wealth would have been directly tied to God's provision for his harvest, right? And yet, he's foolish enough to think that he's done something to earn or deserve what he's been given, and he doesn't see the fact that it's God who's in control of everything that allows that harvest to happen. How many of us can cause a seed to grow? Drop a plant in the ground, how much control do you have over like, it actually germinating, even if all the right conditions exist? Zero. So I think Jesus is making like a really strong point here. It's like there is absolutely nothing within your power to cause this to happen, and yet you want to take credit for it, and you want to pat yourself on the back for how successful you've been. That's true for us too, friends. I oftentimes find myself thinking that I have what I have because I've earned it, because I'm willing to get up earlier than the next guy, because I'm willing to outwork somebody. How many of us feel like we have what we have because we're smarter than somebody else? Because 
we're willing to grind something else out, grind something out that nobody else is, right? We want to take credit for our success in the same way that this farmer did. Yet everything that we have, and the Bible tells us this over and over and over again, it comes directly from the Lord and his blessing and his provision. You look at the life of Job. Job did a lot of things right. The Bible tells us that he was blameless, right? I mean, it was like Satan was looking for someone to like go and wreck, and he had amassed incredible wealth. But all of that wealth was tied directly to God's blessing and God's provision for his life. And so I think the first mistake that the fool makes is that he thinks that he deserves credit for what he has. And then the second mistake that he makes is that he answers his storage problem with acquiring the thought of acquiring more storage, right? I have so much stuff. What can I do? I'll just make bigger barns so that I can store more stuff. Um, I think that the fool invested in the, long, in the wrong long-term retirement plan, right? It says, if I just build more barns, then I can sit back and I can relax and I can just collect dividends, right, for the rest of my life. I can live off of this massive wealth that I've acquired. So let me ask you this morning, if I was your investment advisor, and I wouldn't be because I'm not that good at that stuff, and I told you that I had two retirement options for you, would you choose the plan that was a highly that was a high probability of financial security, but that between the time that you retire and die, or that I had a second option that guaranteed you to be provided with everything that you could ask or imagine, and that it started today and that it never ended? Which one would you choose? Again, friends, like I'm saying this as a guy that's hopefully a lot like all of you here. I wrestle with some of these same things. I'm not up here saying that retirement funds are a bad thing. I have retirement funds. Proverbs tells us that saving is, is wise, but it also tells us to not rest in our savings plans, right? Don't get content in that stuff. Don't think that that's a sense of security that you should have, right? If your sense of security comes from your 401k or whatever retirement plan you have, it's gonna be empty, it's gonna be meaningless, it's gonna be hollow, and it may not even be there when it comes time to retire. Some of the other things that Proverbs teaches us about money is that it doesn't satisfy. Proverbs 23 verses four and five says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. See friends, here's the what for me is the, the central problem that we all have. I think that as it relates to money, I think that we're incredibly consumed with ourselves. I think that we're born broken, that's what the Bible tells us, and we're born with a desire to satisfy ourselves before anything else. And that's part of what leads to greed, and that's part of what leads to our identity becoming wrapped up in what we have or what people think that we have, so that we can posture and pretend. We're consumed with the appearance of ourselves, and yet that's not what Jesus would have for us at all. Jesus wants our identity to come not from what we have, but in who we are. And when who we are is all wrapped up in Jesus, our identity becomes a lot more like the identity of Jesus, who made himself low so that we could be lifted up. We're enraptured with ourselves, though, because of the introduction of sin into the world, we're broken. And our happiness and pleasure and comfort are some of the most important things to us. And we great, go to great expenses to satisfy 
those desires. You think about the nature of, of advertising, and we all know this. It's intended to appeal to this base nature of who we are. All these ads that you see tell you that you deserve something. What are some of the things, and, and this, this could be even interactive, what are some of the things that the world tells us that we deserve? A closet that reflects your personality. That's hilarious. I was just talking with some friends. I have like mostly like black, navy, gray shirts that I like to wear. And then I have this. And this is like my like edgy, crazy, like I want to get out there and, and uh, you know, be on the edge with all of you stylishly. What else does the world tell us? You deserve a break today. They don't even know what you've been doing all day, but you deserve a break. What's that? Yeah, the latest, greatest computer equipment. Somebody else said something about automobiles. Yeah, someone should be paying for your health care. Someone said something about you deserve a, a new car or a nice car. Yeah, the perfect car, sure, whatever that is. Facial recognition on your phone. Getting specific. Anybody have a retina scanner on their iPhone? What else does the world tell us we deserve? That you deserve a $1,200 iPhone X that's basically the same thing as the Android. Feel a little biased. What else does the world tell us we deserve? Yeah, big house, right? The, the, the storybook existence. Big house, new car, well-manicured lawn. Yeah, vacations away from your beautiful, you know, house and well-manicured lawn and the, the time off that you had, right? The break that you had. Yeah, the world tells us that we deserve all of this stuff. It tells us that we deserve to look a certain way and to have a certain lifestyle. And yet, the word tells us that we deserve death. Do you hear that? The Bible tells us that we deserve death. Yet because Jesus took death on himself, we have the opportunity for life. And what the Bible describes as life abundantly, life everlasting. And here's the reality, friends. I get all wrapped up in some of what I deserve. I do get all twisted up in what I want and my personal pleasure and comfort. And I forget the fact that I deserve death and that the, the life that Jesus offers should look a lot different than oftentimes the life that I'm living, the life that I'm all wrapped up in. In Luke chapter 11, uh, verse 42 Jesus chastises the Pharisees for keeping ridiculously detailed records about their tithing. They were even keeping it down to like a leaf or an herb, um, but they neglected justice and the love of God. Jesus says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter, without leaving the former undone. And so the question that I want to ask us um, this morning is, whose kingdom are we building? 
I spent a lot of time building chicken crap empires, I'm gonna be honest with you. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is what are we investing in? What kingdom are we building? And as I think about that, I need to ask myself, okay, like how do we make this transition? How do we live in this world full of all this stuff and yet make this transition to be about building the kingdom of God? And this is a discipleship issue for all of us. Um, and for me, this is a process that I'm still, I'm still in process in all of this. Um, but Jesus points to the Pharisees' faithful tithing and says they nonetheless neglect justice and the love of God. He then says they should indeed do the former, which is tithing, but not neglect the latter. Jesus seems to assume that believers should tithe. So there's this, like, this very basic idea that within the scriptures that if we want to get free from our identity and all this stuff that God's saying, I want you to give back some of what I've already given you. And that's a theme that plays out throughout the scriptures. You can go all the way back to, to Genesis and you see Cain and Abel making sacrifices, right? Giving a portion of what they have. They're making these sacrifices to God. And one of those is withholding the good stuff from God. And the other one's giving him the best, the first fruits of his things. And the Lord blesses the one and the other one he doesn't bless and that creates conflict. And then what happens? Yeah, jealousy, right? And Cain kills Abel. And so there's this, there's this, this um, practice throughout the scriptures of giving God a tenth of what we own. And so in this passage, the Pharisees are saying that they do this, but they've forsaken the love of God and justice. And so to me, I just want to put out there this morning that I see a, a really distinct relationship or a really closely connected relationship between Old Testament tithing and New Testament, Jesus is saying, you should keep tithing. So at the most basic level, you should, could, you should continue to give 10% of what you're given and then do more. That's just the starting point. In the Old Testament, the tithe was 10% of someone's income. So in essence, Jesus is saying, give your 10% and then keep on giving. The tithe, doing justice, and loving God in this passage are inseparable. And what do we mean by justice? And Jesus um, and, uh, quotes the book of Isaiah. He says, proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so this is what it looks like for the Wittermans. As we wrestle through this, this idea of wanting to live a life that reflects what Jesus has called us to. We've developed a little policy at home. We call it give, save, and live on the rest. And it's, it's, it's really basic. We feel like the Lord has called us to give first. And so we have set up, and it's, it's a really easy thing to do. You could do it like through your phone. There's probably an app for it. Um, you could set it up through your phone, through your bank, or just however you do your personal finances. Um, but we have adjusted our lives so that the Lord gets the first fruits. The first thing that comes out of what the Lord has given us is that 10%. And then we like to save money because we think it's important. The Bible tells us that we should do that, yet our security is not wrapped up in it. And then we live on the rest. And it's out of that overflow and out of that rest that we're able to enjoy the life that the Lord has given us and bless others so that when other people have needs, we're at a place where we can also be generous toward them. And so it's as simple as that for us. And those are things that we have talked about as a family and that we talk about with our kids. And I just think as far as getting an understanding and, and yielding ourselves to the Lord, 
it's helpful to remember things as simple as give, save, and live on the rest. And I just want to speak really um, directly to us as a church this morning. And just to help us to get a handle on where, where this lands for us as a church. Um, you probably see, and I think they still are printed in the bulletin, I get emails because I'm on the leadership team, some details about where we are financially as a church. And over the period of, I would say, the last year, we have been on a decline in terms of our giving. Steve Johnson is our treasurer, and he sends out detailed reports. And as a part of that, um, I think right now we're probably about $40,000 behind budget for the year. And I thought about that, and I thought, like, what is, you know, what is this indicative of? And, you know, and asking Steve some questions and processing through this stuff on some levels, um, I've done a little bit of research, and this is what this looks like for me. Um, the median income for Beaver County households is approximately $50,000. And so I know that some of us are in different places that relates to that. Some of us are in places where we make much less than that, and some of us are in places where we may make much more than that. But I'm just basing these numbers on median income from you know, statistics that are available to us. And we have about 100 giving units or 100 families that give to Crestmont. And so when I do the simple math on that, I'm like, wow, if we had 100 families that were giving at the very you know, like median income level, we would have about a $500,000 um, $500, of giving um, each year. And I see that we're nowhere close to that. And so I wanna challenge us as a church um, to consider being generous toward the Lord. Um, the Bible talks about um, giving to the storehouse, and so this is our opportunity uh, to come alongside of God in the work that he's doing here. Um, as a church, God has set a mission before us. God has given us a vision for not just our local body, but for our community, and I want to be a part of what God is doing here, and I want all of us to do it together and to be brutally honest with you all, it requires all of our resources. It requires our time, it requires our talent, and it requires our treasure. So my challenge to us this morning as a body is, is to join God in the work that he's doing in each of these three areas, um, in our time, in our talents, and in our treasures. In the book of Malachi, it's chapter three, verse 10. The Lord says, I do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe to the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I believe that God is doing something new in the life of our church. And I want all of us to come alongside of him in doing the work that he's doing. And God says, test me in this. Jesus has invited 
us into a fuller expression of who he is. It's an invitation to join him in the work that he's doing. If you're a part of our church, you see that there's been a renewed sense of fervor for the poor, an increased desire for local and international missions. There's an openness to the work of the Holy Spirit. I see some of the things that, that Peter prophesied about in Acts chapter 2 happening. It says, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I just want to say that if you're a part of, of who, you are, who we are here at Crestmont, if you want to join God in the work that he's doing, then I want to challenge you in this cumbersome, complicated area of personal finances. I want to encourage you to consider going before the Lord and saying, Lord, what would you have me give? What would you have me to do with regards to the things that you've blessed me with? Test him. Malachi says, test him in this and see how he responds. And I'm really anxious to see what the Lord will do in the life of our church. And thinking about you know, this expression, I also want to encourage you to process through some of these things in smaller gatherings. Um, one of the things that's been incredibly helpful for us as a church is to begin to gather in smaller groups. And there are several groups that meet throughout the week. And if that's not something that you've been able to connect to or plug, on, plug into, I want to encourage you to do that. Um, we have groups that meet on, I think, Monday Night City Group. The Stewart Group meets on Monday nights. So there's Monday Night City Group, Monday Night Stewart Group. There's a Friday Night Missional Community. Um, if you're not connected to one of those groups, can I just say that you're invited this Friday um, to the Friday Night Group. We're going to have a cookout and just a good time. And Rick Romano, who's our missionary from the Dominican Republic that was spoken about earlier, will be there. But come and connect and gather with smaller groups and find places to process some of these things that the Lord's doing and some of these things that the Lord's saying to us as a church. And uh, I can promise you that it has been a game changer for me and my family and for so many other families. And I'm expecting that that same thing will be true for you, that as you gather with these smaller groups, that the Lord will meet you in that. And he'll teach you new things and he'll be able, you'll be able to learn and grow and process in ways that you previously haven't. So I'm going to invite Tim. I think Tim's going to wrap us up this morning. Heather, I'm not sure if if you're coming to play, but if you are, great. Maybe some background music, maybe not. But uh, I appreciate you guys hanging in there with me. I know that this is, you know, this is a cumbersome conversation, um, but I want you to know that I love you and that in this, it's not judgment, uh, it's invitation. And as we wrestle through this together as a church, I'm convinced that the Lord's going to bless, and I'm convinced that the Lord's going to meet us in this, and I'm really excited about what the Lord's going to do as we continue to move forward in faith.